The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, in my talk tonight, I'm going to use a lot of quotes. You don't know this, but I don't always use a lot of quotes. But I will be tonight because I had so many good quotes to on this topic. And um, Bloom of the Present Insight Meditation has a website, and on that is on the homepage is a blog. And actually, almost all these quotes are on the blog because people are always asking me uh, for quotes. And I just want to say a little bit before I get into forgiveness is that the title Bloom of the Present comes from one of my most admired writers, which is Thoreau. And it comes from his book Walden. And the quote goes, There were times when I could not sacrifice the bloom of the present moment for any work of head or hand. So, in the how is the sound? Is it? It's. It sounds more than adequate, from what I hear. In the spirit of um, the old adage, which you may or may not know, the adage about giving a talk, which is, you tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them and then you tell them what you told them. (laughs) So in that spirit, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. So this first part is a a, kind of a summary of what I want to share with you tonight. When hearing about forgiveness, we often think about extreme examples. The immediate forgiveness the Amish gave to the shooter who killed their children or the worst injuries of our own life that we have yet to forgive. But most forgiveness is an ordinary daily act. Real forgiveness is the humble willingness to recognize and accept the imperfection, the fallibility, and the woundedness of being human. Every day we judge ourselves and others for not living up to our standards, for not behaving in the way we would like, for not doing what we think they should be doing. We blame others for unsettling our equilibrium, obstructing us in some way or causing us discomfort. Without forgiveness, we hold on to judgments, resentment, and blame, all of which contract and deaden our hearts. Forgiveness sees the truth of our common humanity and it recognizes what is of real value. Forgiveness is the seed of all love and compassion, which are the seed of all wisdom. So forgiveness is both a practice, a practice where we give intentional attention to the forgiveness 
And forgiveness is also the natural outflow of the awakened mind. A mind without prejudice or aversion. Recently, I've been um, teaching a various series on the Brahma Viharas. Uh, I imagine most of you know what those are. They're also called the Four Measurables or the Four Boundless Attitudes. And I also have a dedicated practitioners group. And uh, the topic this year is uh, called the Wisdom of Compassion. Or, and it's the Brahma Viharas. And a quick summary, in case someone doesn't know or has forgotten... The short version of those four Brahma Viharas is love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. But it is sometimes said that forgiveness is the prerequisite for the Brahma Viharas. And sometimes people talk about it as the fifth Brahma Vihara. And I make the argument that if, uh, unless you have an understanding of and clear intention toward forgiveness, your cultivation of the awakened heart-mind will be limited because you'll be bogged down in your own stories and ideas and projections and habitual patterns. From Martin Luther King, he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. So what do we forgive? When I say we're forgiving, what do we forgive? In this context, we are forgiving the person, not the act. We are forgiving ourselves, perhaps, not necessarily our behavior. This is not like forgiving a debt where you forget about it. It means you actually are taking a much deeper and wiser turn of the heart with a deep understanding of the nature of humankind. And much of our practice and much of what the Buddha taught was about having a very profound understanding of humankind, of our mind, our hearts, and our consciousness. So what we forgive in ourselves and others is our imperfection. Anybody here imperfect? (laughs) I'm happy to see. We forgive the fallibility, the woundedness, which I already mentioned. But on that, I also might say we forgive our our all of our confusion and our delusion, which is manifold, and we forgive perhaps what we might even call our insanity sometimes. So in other words, simply put, we forgive our common humanity. But we can't forgive our common humanity until we recognize our common humanity. So who benefits from forgiveness? The person you forgive may or may not benefit. They may not even ever know. They might be dead. Forgiveness is an inner opening of your own heart and understanding. Louis Smedes, I'm actually not sure that's how you pronounce it, but he's a theologian, said to forgive 
is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. And one of my other, a very short uh, quote about forgiveness is uh, that I like very much, forgive or relive. And yet another anonymous one, holding a grudge is letting someone live rent-free in your head. So, I've always been um, fascinated and drawn to stories of what I call extreme forgiveness, kind of like extreme sports. Extreme forgiveness, although that's not mostly what I'm going to be talking about, but I want to say a few words about that. Um, I like reading stories about it. I like, I'm trying to understand how people reach forgiveness when they've experience the intolerable and they've experienced something that seems unbearable and one certainly one example uh, is the Amish and the shooting in 2006 where five school children were killed many of you know that I'm actually reading right now the book called Amish Grace which is about that as some of you may have have read it I recommend it And the shooter killed himself as well. So there were six deaths that day and some other injuries. And this was in the news media and so forth, but um, the Amish immediately forgave the shooter and immediately reached out to the families of the shooter. And from the the result of that, there are many results of it, but one is the wife and mother, both the wife and the mother of the shooter have since, were so impacted by the Amish response to them that in various ways they've dedicated their lives to helping others. So a tragedy which could end up and often, most often does in the world with retaliation and revenge and hatred, instead was replaced by a cascade of reverberation of care and clarity. So instead of one negative reaction leading to the next, to the next, to the next, instead something completely different happened. In that forgiveness, it stopped the force of the tragedy tragedy from taking others from expanding the tragedy to include others and more and more people in this reverberation of perhaps revenge and negativity instead it stopped it in its tracks This is the possibility on, this isn't on the big scale, this is on the huge scale of the possibilities of this. But we can actually bring the same thing into our ordinary interactions and our ordinary daily life. This is another quote, this is from Bernard Meltzer, who is another theologian, I believe. When you forgive, you in no way change the past, but you sure do change the future. 
as I said, I'm interested on looking at this on the small scale, on the everyday events, and what this means in ordinary circumstances. Fred Luskin, who is a researcher on forgiveness, it's become popular in some psychology circles. He, he originally did his research about situations like with the Amish and, and other tragedies, but he eventually shifted to the nature and the direction of his research. What's more important, he said, than these big events is, can you forgive your brother-in-law for being annoying? Can you forgive people in traffic? Those things happen every day. Big things, they happen once in a lifetime, maybe twice. It's a waste of forgiveness. I like that line. It's a waste of forgiveness. That's my perspective. Forgiveness is really important for smoothing the normal interpersonal things that rub everyone the wrong way. Plus, it requires acknowledgement of our fundamental human vulnerability without getting angry or bitter about it. I actually thought of calling this talk, Don't Waste Your Forgiveness. Don't waste your forgiveness waiting for those big opportunities or the time you finally someday will forgive that perpetrator of the most grievous harm that you experienced in your life. Begin to forgive the small stuff right now. And what kind of grudges or resentment or judgment are you holding on to right now, tonight? Are you judging me? Maybe this isn't the talk you wanted tonight. Are you judging the person next to you for falling asleep or moving around? Can you just allow and forgive that instead? Recently, I made a flip comment, kind of flip comment, in talking to a group. I said about this was kind of about it was about forgiveness, and I said the whole practice of daily life is just that people annoy us and we forgive them. But really the issue is, isn't that people are annoying. The issue is that we are annoyable. We are easily annoyed by things. That's what's called conditioned reactivity. That is why we practice mindfulness and meditation. And that conditioned reactivity that is the source of our suffering... I hate to tell you it's not everybody else's annoying habits that is the source of our suffering. It is our own conditioned reactivity that is intimately tied into our habit of judging and judging others. And I can't speak for, I don't really know any of you, I've met a couple of you, can't really speak for you, but in my experience of human nature in the West and the United States as both a Dharma teacher and a psychologist, people are pretty much judging others continuously. With a few little quiet gaps here and there. Moments sometimes of gratitude and appreciation. But judgment in the nature of our culture is pretty epidemic. I would even go so far to say it's an addiction or a way of life. It is so common and so, so much a way of life as to go unnoticed. 
just sort of the way we are, the way we relate. Can you notice you're judging now? I know some of you are judging me. (laughs) That's the trial, the burden of being a Dharma teacher. (laughs) Sit in front of people. So why do we judge others? Well, it's certainly habit, but a lot because we feel threatened in some way. We feel out of control in some way. We're trying to control what's around us. We feel put upon, misunderstood. We feel judged ourselves. We have expectations, endless ones, of everyone else. We want things to be our way. Does any of this sound familiar? We want, we want to think we're right and we know best. I certainly do at times. We want people in reality to conform to our needs and our opinions. But have people in reality ever really done that? Jack Cornfield says that forgiveness is giving up hope of a better past. We want the past to be different or better, and so we hold a grudge. Somehow that will change the past. But once you give up hope of a better past, you can live in the present. You can respond authentically. And that past may only be five minutes ago or five years ago. It doesn't matter. As I was preparing this talk, uh, I, kept, I kept recalling Jean-Paul Sartre and the famous line from his play, No Exit. I had to sort of look it up because it had been years since I thought about this. And um, the famous line, Hell is Other People. And in the play, the depi- which depicts hell, hell in this is three people are stuck in a, in a room with people who annoy them for eternity. We're in that hell until we decide to leave it. Hell is really the suffering we create for ourselves. So I invite you to begin to learn how to leave that hell behind and live a different way. If you look at much of our anxiety, our worry, our anger, our sense of aggravation it's all related to other people when we begin to be able to shift in a profound and major way how we see and receive others, 
how we open to others' humanity and imperfection, how we open and receive and accept our own imperfection. Life takes on a whole different a whole different way of being, a whole different level of ease and relaxation, a whole different level of possibility. And this is in many ways at the heart of the Buddhist teachings. We have to begin to step out of our assumptions and our projections. We need to begin to step out of our all the deeply embedded and conditioned patterns to actually live freshly in the moment and to be with others in a fresh and immediate and real way. Henry Nguyen, who some of you may know is a Dutch, was, was a Dutch priest. Forget, and this is from him, forgiveness means the willingness to forgive people for not being able to fulfill all your needs. I feel that constantly. I expect people to fulfill my needs, all my needs. I expect people to love me unconditionally, and they can't. My father cannot. My mother cannot. My brothers and sisters, my church, the people around me cannot. In a way, I always bump into the reality that people are limited and I want them to be unlimited. Well, I'm disappointed again and again and again. That disappointment should lead me to forgive my fellow human beings for not being God, for not being able to give me all I need and all I desire. I should also ask forgiveness constantly, again and again, that I cannot offer people that unconditional love I would like to offer. People are disappointed in me also because I am not being for them what they hoped I could be. So forgiveness like grief has its own timetable. And we cannot force or pretend forgiveness. But we can choose to have the sincere intention to forgive. We can choose each day to have the sincere intention to forgive people for their constant mistakes, for them not living up to our expectations, for them doing things we deem annoying. What if you're able to drop all of that? And I'm not talking about this because I'm personally so good at it. I'm talking about it because I've experienced and continue to experience the power this has of actually transforming 
our relationship with ourself and others from one of petty judgments to actual, actual kindness and compassion. Christina Feldman, who's an insight meditation teacher in England, says that encourages you to walk the path of forgiveness. And you do not forgive just once, but countless times in your life. Each time you see yourself recoiling from another person, beginning to walk the pathway of animosity and blame, becoming lost in aversion or resentment, you can feel the pain you're inflicting upon yourself. These are the moments that ask for you to cultivate forgiveness. Do you see how many moments you have every day? How many moments you have every day to see how you're creating your own inner contraction and pain and the many moments in a day where you can actually relax and open and allow She goes on to say, at the heart of compassion is the commitment to heal the causes of suffering, alienation, division, belief in the separation between self and other are the greatest causes of suffering in life. Alienation, division, belief in the separation between self and other are the greatest causes of suffering in life. And forgiveness is the opportunity to create the bridge and the healing. She goes on again to say, Forgiveness is a gesture of liberation in the service of liberation. Forgiveness liberates you from what is past and from the burden of resentment and fear. Are you willing to make forgiveness a path? with each person to bring the intention with each person you contact with your own relationship to yourself. Martin Luther King Jr. said, forgiveness is not an occasional act, it is a constant attitude. So I want to say a little bit more about self-forgiveness, which is a whole topic on its own. And it's pretty obvious that our understanding and strengthening of forgiveness begins with ourselves. And we begin by actually recognizing the ways that we harm ourselves, maybe small ways or maybe big ways. It may be through some kind of self-neglect or self-ridicule or judgment. Maybe harming ourselves through disconnecting from our bodies and emotions. It may be constant, unrealistic expectations of ourselves. Poor self-care, addictions, and the gamut of destructive habits. So we begin by recognizing the harm 
we have brought to ourselves through ignorance, confusion, through our own deep woundedness. And I don't, again, know you, but I'm guessing everyone here is walking around with some level of woundedness, some of it healed and some of it not healed. And we often act unconsciously and in not so skillful and healthy ways from that woundedness. So we recognize this with our mindfulness, with paying attention to our actual experience, to waking up to what our living presence is really about. And we forgive. And yet another forgiveness researcher, Robert Enright, says an interesting thing about self-forgiveness and kind of why it's sometimes harder than other forgiveness. He says, the issue of self-forgiveness is much more complicated than forgiveness in general. And here's why. When you offend yourself, you are both the victim and the perpetrator. True forgiveness requires stopping the behavior that led to the offense in the first place. Does that make sense? So, um, I want to say a a few things also about action and forgiveness. People, sometimes when I talk about forgiveness, somebody will say, so I'm I'm, I'm preemptive here, in case you're thinking of saying this. Sometimes people will say to me, but if I forgive this or that or the other thing or this person or that person, then I'm condoning bad behavior or I'm letting people off the hook. But you'll have noticed I have said nothing about forgetting behavior. I have said nothing about forgetting harm, harmful actions. I have said nothing about not acting. As a matter of fact, it is only through real forgiveness that one can act in a really effective way. and meaningful way. Thomas Saws, who some of you may remember as a psychiatrist, he said, the stupid neither forgive nor forget. The naive forgive and forget. The wise forgive but do not forget. It is what we can might call unwise forgiveness. Or we might call it idiot forgiveness. I don't know if you know, there's terms like idiot compassion and other things like that, which are really um, pointing to something. It's a bit like a near enemy, something that looks like forgiveness but really isn't. So unwise forgiveness is really a quick reaction, a perf- what I call performance of forgiveness or the appearance of forgiveness that is there to avoid feelings is there to avoid action or conflict or confrontation. That's not real forgiveness. 
we need, when we're talking about ourselves or others, we need to acknowledge our feelings, our reactions, what has actually been triggered, what it has felt like to feel harmed in some way. So forgiveness to be real, we have to really acknowledge and know how we feel, what the harm has felt like. Then the forgiveness becomes real and authentic and deep and meaningful and can take time, as I said. So if you're on the path, if you're on the Dharma path, if you're truly on the Dharma path, then you have a commitment to end suffering. Your own suffering and suffering in the world. That's in a way the definition of being on the Dharma path. So having a commitment to end suffering often means taking a stand. It's not forgive and forget. It's not forgive and everything's nice. It's forgive and take a stand. Forgive and name the harm that's being done. Forgive and explain why the behavior is unskillful, undermining, or worse. To take a stand against the behavior that perpetuates suffering and harm whether through speaking or action, it might include. But our stand is against the behavior and not the people, the persons, the group, the individual. We cultivate our forgiveness and we cultivate our compassion and our embracing unconditional friendliness toward everyone equally. And we stand up to deceit and greed and delusion to expectation and prejudice. And we forgive. This is a tall order. This is a mighty aspiration. And yet it's the direction we're being pulled, we're being asked to go. It is the direction that the world needs right now. It is the direction of true healing. Forgiveness is the act of coming into alignment with what is. To what has happened, to what has passed. It is the enlightened view of seeing things as they are, not how we wish them be, not how they should be. But acknowledging the complete mystery and imperfection, the craziness, the unpredictability, the wonder and the beauty of things as they are. And I'll end, there'll be a little time for comments or questions. I'll end with another, this is another quote from Henry Nguyen, one of my favorite ones. Forgiveness is really essential. If you want to live in community, and you are living in community, this is a community. Even if you leave this room tonight and you don't see the people here until next week or a month from now, Insight Meditation Center is a community. Sangha is a community. 
and the world is a community. Redwood City is a community. If you want to live in community, you have to forgive, not once in a while, but every day. I think that before breakfast, you have had ten chances to forgive. Just the way you think, the way you feel. We have so much anger, jealousy, so much resentment. We have to keep forgiving. Once we forgive, we can celebrate. So I'll just say in my community, in my sangha, just a small kind of intimate sangha, those are kind of the two, two directions we work with. Seeing each other for who we are, noticing our own reactivity, forgiving ourselves and each other, and celebrating. So. so let's just sit in silence for half a minute. You can take in what's been said, and then we have a few minutes for any comments before I make the long drive back to Santa Cruz. anyone has a comment or question and could you say your name um, my name is my name is Anne um, I judge that to be a very special talk and thank you um, I'm interested in what you have to say about how um, matter Loving-kindness meditation can sort of fortify oneself um, to reduce the amount of judgment. Well, all the Brahma Viharas are fortifying ourselves around that. I mean, judgment itself, and the habit of judgment, and I want to say I'm as conditioned as anyone else on that, um, Fortunately, over the years, it's lessened, but still gets kicked into action. Um, they're all f- that all the Brahma Viharas, the metta and compassion. There's many ways that they they affect us. One is um, the Buddha talked a lot about inclining the mind toward the wholesome. And so, in in many ways, that's all. That's the majority of what is happening when we practice, do the meta practices or other practices. Where I've I, um, how do I say this? It's not exactly a belief. It's stronger than a belief. My experience says that when we you know, the veils of our conditioned reactivity are lifted. We are naturally compassionate 
we are naturally naturally have this the the light of this um, unconditional friendliness or the the loving kindness the the uh, this sort of goodwill towards others no matter how wretched the other person may seem to our conditioned self and so the practices are peeling away the veils the practices are reminding us of our deeper nature and again the forgiveness is just another as I said earlier it's both a result of that because we start to have this deep, poignant amazement at the complexity, the suffering of being human, of the underlying um, needs that aren't being met, of all the, the motivations and the conditions that come together to create the kind of destructive and harmful behavior so as we lift those veils we get these gl- first is sort of glimpses and then it's it becomes more stable it becomes our you know our default is has been all our conditioning it starts to become the real default the authentic one is that addressing yeah thank you okay Um, It's on, okay. So, my name is Ethan, first of all. Thank you for that talk. Um, I've been thinking about this topic a lot recently. Um, I guess I want to touch on a couple of things. First off, um, self-righteousness and sort of the irony of it, because I think a lot of, like, this culture and the morality, I feel like a lot of people sort of internalize a God complex where we have to label things as good or bad mm-hmm. according to that kind of Western morality. And I like the skillful or unskillful kind of way of seeing things. And um, just the idea that, you know, being self-righteous and labeling these things, we're ultimately hypocritical because we're not practicing the compassion and the love for other people that we should be. You know, if we're just judging their um, their morality all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, too, is like you talked about judgment being a defense mechanism, and I really agree with you on that. Um, I think a lot of it stems from the fact that um, we don't really see reality as being so um, contingent. Like, we believe in our own reality so much, you know, like you talked about conditioning and, like, um, I guess just realizing how much it is just a construct and not clinging to, to that, like, you're you're right I think we do have a lot more power than we think but it's just tough to get perspective if you've been in this your whole your whole life this kind of cycle so I don't know I guess I think it does start from forgiving yourself like you talked about and breaking that cycle so I mean I'm just reiterating what you said Mm -hmm. but sort of in my own kind of way great I, I appreciate that thank you um 
I, I might just add a couple co- just comments to reinforce what you said. <laughs> um, I want to say one thing when you're talking. I, I think over, I've been practicing for 40 years and in the Dharma, and uh, one of the things that's happened in those years is this growing and growing confidence in the power of our true nature. That it's there in me, it's there in you, it's there in everybody. It's just so completely often hidden or buried. And the power of this, of, of the Brahma Viharas, and that we have the possibility, we have the capacity to unleash this power. It's not just sort of a nice thing. <laughs> I'm not saying you're saying that, but at all. But um, there's, um, why I'm saying this to you and everyone is, I want you to have this confidence in yourself and in the power of this. And, um, and that will give us energy and, I think, um, inspiration to continue. And, uh, yeah, that, this, that we, in what you said too about um, um, the, the skillful versus the unskillful, the wholesome versus the unwholesome, rather than the, the good or bad. And there was actually um, Robert Thurman, some of you may know him, a Buddhist scholar, and originally was the uh, monk, Tibetan Buddhist monk, and also the translator for the Dalai Lama. Um, he and some other scholars did a study to find um, research. They found the people, this is sort of ironic and almost counterintuitive, but not, (laughs) that the people who deny their own capacity for, for harming others, deny their own capacity for violence, deny their own capacity for delusion, are the ones most likely to act with violence, to act with um, incredible delusion and become kind of obsessed with purity. And so one of the beautiful things to me about the Dharma path is this teaching that we all have the capacity for everything. It's not like we're good or bad. We have the capacity for it all. And under any the right circumstances, we all might act. In, with violence or, or in some awful way. And to be humble in that then really um, helps you be able to understand others and open to others and not be so self-righteous. Because <laughs> the self-righteousness, I mean, the key word there is self. <laughs> the, the self-righteousness is a, is a defense itself. You know, not me. I can't do that. That wouldn't happen. And um, it feels good, though, doesn't it? <laughs> I think Absolutely. there's a pleasure in all these negative emotions, yeah. honestly, a perverse kind of pleasure. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and so that's where the wisdom needs to sort of cut into that and say, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, what you just said reminded me of a um, book title by Sinclair Lewis, uh, I guess written in the 30s as he was watching the rise of fascism. Uh, mm-hmm. and he was writing him out of America. The book title is, It Can't Happen Here. Mm-hmm. So I guess the Buddhist version of that is if you deny your own propensity yeah. for anger or violence, you're thinking, it can't happen here. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Right. <laughs> For us, it's, it can happen here, so let's be awake. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Okay, so let's, let's finish, and I'll, I'll do a little dedication to end this evening. So thank you all for, I know it's late, and hanging in here, and staying awake, and listening, and I really appreciate it. So let's take a moment to breathe before we head out into the world, and to go home, and to feel yourself breathing, and to notice your own aliveness, and to recognize we're all alive here together. And we all share the mystery of existence. And so let us wake up. Let us find our deepest heart and our deepest wisdom for the benefit of ourselves, each one of us here, and for the world that is on fire. May we awaken love, compassion, and forgiveness. I'll be here for a couple minutes if